Music, science, cosmic culture. This is the Blue Dot Podcast. Welcome to the Blue Dot Podcast. As part of our Plate Up partnership with the Vegan Society, we took Blue Dot on the road to Glasgow for COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference. This episode of the Blue Dot Podcast is one of the talks from that weekend, a special live panel featuring Ecotricity founder Dale Vince, Faye Milton from Music Declares Emergency, and Claire O'Neill from A Greener Festival, hosted by John Robb. For more information on Plate Up and to watch this episode as a video, head to discovertheblue.com slash plate up. So tonight's panel, we're going to talk about the punk rock approach to changing the world. But we're only going to start there. We're going to go for a long wander around because everybody's got a different background, different reason for being here, different reason for changing the world, starting with you, Faye. Hi, I'm Faye. I'm the co-founder of Music Declares Emergency um, and drummer from a band called Savages and do production stuff as well. And why am I here? Yeah. Because it's COP26. Am I right? <laughs> well, you could have been on holiday, I don't know. Claire? Um, I'm Claire O'Neill, and I'm mostly here because John asked me to come. <laughs> the, the first reason. Um, I'm the co-founder of a company called Agrina Festival, and we've been working with festivals all around the world for the last 15 years to help them to become more environmentally conscious and sustainable. Same with arenas, tours, all sorts of events, sports events. I'm also an aerialist and travelling around with a fire-breathing spider, which is another story. Are you going to do that now? No. I don't have it with me, unfortunately, <laughs> but if anyone's got a lighter, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Dale? Yeah, thank you. My name is Dale Vince. I'm founder of Ecotricity, world's first green energy company. I've done a bunch of other things. I'm currently chairman of Forest Green Rovers, the, uh, the only vegan professional football club in the world. And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I make diamonds out of atmospheric carbon as well. That's, uh, that's my new gig. And I'm here because uh, food matters to me and talking to people matters to me. Round of applause for all the panel, actually, yeah. So guess what, what I'm looking at here? I mean, the word, the word punk rock is so overused and we thrashed it to death last night with Chris Packham. So don't we go down that uh, avenue again. I would happily do it, but no one else wants to listen. A load of old people talk about punk rock. That's me and Dale, not the, these two. But more, more, I think it's more of a, a sort of word for maverick, a maverick approach to changing the world because obviously, as we've seen at COP, the governments aren't really on the case here. So it's, it's, as we talked about last night and the panels, everything it's from the bottom up and also a different approach is needed. So, Faye, a maverick approach, would you say that's what you're doing here? As a musician who's coming to this, are you, are you coming in with a maverick approach because you're dissatisfied with the more conventional approaches? Yeah, I think one of the reasons I got involved in climate issues because, was because I didn't see a space in it for where, I didn't see where I'd fit into it originally. I went to a big climate march, you know, people dressed as polar bears and giraffes, and I just thought, I'm never going to do that. Um, and it just didn't, you know, I just couldn't find my nook. And then I realized that was also preventing a lot of other people getting involved in it. So first I was making videos and films and trying to make them look really cool <laughs> to try and make climate cool or whatever. This is years ago. Um, and then, yeah, I guess that, that same spirit goes into Music Declares Emergency. It's sort of creating a space that people can identify with um, and see it in, in a climate space and say, okay, this is... I, I can talk about climate because these people look like me, a music fan or, you know, punk rocker <laughs> or, or a classical musician yeah, or, you yeah. know, a choir singer. And we work all across the board of music. So 
yeah, sort of creating spaces for people, I guess. So was it climate issues something you've always been interested in? Or is this something just over the years start to percolate into your world? Well, I found this incredibly depressing thing when I was clearing out my parents' loft the other day. And it was a project I did when I was 11 saying, what on earth are we doing to the world? And it literally was like, we need to get so off fossil fuels as soon as possible. That would be a great T-shirt. Um, and it was all of the answers were there, laid out by an 11 year old, you know, 10 years ago. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, a 15, long time yeah, ago, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just kind of heartbreaking to see that. I don't know, hasn't gone into action. I don't even remember doing that project, but yeah, it was. Yeah. So that was actually before the music, there was that concern and that kind of idea that was in your mind? A bit. It was always one of those things you thought someone else was dealing with and you realize, suddenly realised they're not. And I think it was when I read Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything um, and I just realised the depth of the problem and the fact that no one was coming to save us. And it was like, oh shit, we have to do this ourselves. <laughs> and do you think uh, by being a musician it gave you a certain platform? I don't mean... Oh, like yeah, to tell completely. people what to do, but it gave you space and also an understanding the way the media works and contacts of people you can actually take ideas to. Did that kind of help put the uh, campaign together? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we started Music Declares Emergency, it was literally us just opening our address books and Maddie and Lewis are over here as well, who both wrote their address books and we just WhatsApp people and email people and just really sort of did it from the inside and just grew the network like that. So it's, yeah, it's massively helped to, to have already, I didn't have a huge platform, you know, I was a drummer, but like it really helped to have, to people say, oh, okay, you're a musician, I've heard of you. This is like weird status thing that helps yeah. get things well, going. Well, to play with it, it makes, makes it useful, doesn't it? It's functional. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, it's functional for sure. And also, does it give you a different way, you know, like the idea that you would thought somebody else might be doing it, but you realise they're not. In a sense, that sort of plays back into being a musician as well, because if you don't make the music, no one else is going to make the music you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of part of the thinking as well? And also being a creative person, in a sense, you get creative with the campaign. Yeah, you're right, actually. I think when, when we started Savages, there wasn't... Everything was a bit kind of... What was it? My friend called it pre-financial crash music, where it was <laughs> like everything was a bit banjo-y and kind of a bit... Um, and yeah, things have got really dark now, which is like quite intense as well. But um, yeah, that was a response. This, this isn't here at the moment. Let's do it. Yeah, but I don't know if that answers the question. But. Yes, it does. Thank yeah. you. Good. So, so Claire, again, another maverick approach. I mean, but I want to know your background and how it started. Was this, were climate things and the state of the planet something you grew up with as well? Were you a, a serious 11-year-old with a school project locked in the attic as well? Um, I think that by 11, I was already started to get more interested in boys and alcohol. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm from near Wolverhampton, you see. <laughs> um, so it wasn't until probably about 16 when I discovered the free party scene and started travelling out into the woods around Shropshire and uh, Shrewsbury and then discovered all of these amazing people who, were, who had really radical ideas, it seemed at the time. Like, for instance, they had solar-powered sound systems and they just rock up into the woods and anybody could come in for free. There was organic food. They were sorting out the recycling, the composting. It was vegan. Um, people were organizing protests to fight against the war about fossil fuels. And like, these things hadn't really crossed my mind before that. Um, and equally, what hadn't crossed my mind was LSD, which I think was a fantastic <laughs> way to realize actually the interconnectedness of everything. That, that, 
I think in particular, <laughs> really helped to understand the environmental urgency of uh, the fact that we are actually part of the environment, not separate from it. And then everything became so much more easy to do because it just is natural that you're not going to work against the environment when you know that you're a part of it and you live and breathe it. I think another thing that helped there was the melting of the framework of this patriarchy that we were raised in where you realize actually this perception of the world is bollocks and I'm not following it. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, that was the entrance into this scene. Yeah, and it's interesting, and this is probably something Dale will talk about in a minute, but the underground culture, those underground ideas, are actually in the mainstream now, aren't they? And the fringes of the mainstream, but they're getting there, aren't they? And it's, it yeah, just not so much sort of, acid, yeah. but the ideas are in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I saw as well was going to these free parties where it was supposed to be, I mean, they were the illegal places. That's what was not supposed to be happening. This was like, not permitted, you can't do this, you're all wrong. Whereas the legal events that we went to, I was aghast to see, like, okay, so it's big diesel generators. No one's really being cared for. There's no recycling. It's shitty burger vans. So how do you take this kind of hippie ideal and then bring it into a mainstream corporate culture? So, um, so then I did a dissertation, my music industry dissertation. I was like, okay, I'll bring the environment into it, make it look like a great business idea, and then bring it to the corporates. And that's kind of worked. I did think of spiking with acid, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the next phase. So, so the campaign you do now and the work that you do now is a lot of it's going around festivals and tell them how to green up. But that's not all of it. It's just part of it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I'm, I was sharing the house and I've been hearing some amazing phone calls. It's been <laughs> a crash course in ecology. About sewage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're a lot of interesting yeah. stuff about sewage and how you deal with sewage, and I actually know how to do it now, so it's quite interesting. <laughs> but so, so it's quite wide-ranging, the work you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, so we started, we started with festivals because we looked at should festivals be environmentally friendly and that was partly because of the inspiration that had come from those places where you're outside of your normal day-to-day -day, um, habits, you're also often under the elements, you're disconnected from the tap, from the light switch, from the roof and so you get a bit more of a sense and of opportunity to feel what the purpose is and what we're trying to achieve. Um, and then also you can have temporary infrastructure, so you can recreate a sewage system or you can recreate a, a waste system and, and affect behaviours. So it seemed like a perfect place to start, as well as just wanting to be at festivals all the time in my early 20s. Um, and then that's progressed. We look at things like waste, power, transport, water, behaviour, legal and management systems. Um, and what's been really interesting, actually, is looking at it in different countries where you might have a country that's really technological, and so they're approaching it from, okay, we're going to... Um, build all of these new technologies in order to be greener and then we'll be in other countries that um, are more used for their resources so we've had uh, festival sites come under threat because they're being mined uh, so you get to see that full global picture in that respect uh, but now we're we're working with the arenas venues touring productions and, uh, and just seeing how all those little bits of the ecosystem fit together because normally people say, we can't do anything because they're not. Or like, no, it's not possible because they're not doing anything. And actually, if you talk to each other, you realize that everyone wants to make that progress. And you can. You actually... So communication is exactly. yeah. yeah. So, But also, you're a performer. And really, in your heart, you're probably a performer. Yeah, that um, was something to do with the LSD as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Always climbing on stuff and getting in trouble. <laughs> you don't do the trapeze stuff with LSD, surely? No, no, no. no. <laughs> but but I'm not, what's interesting is, and probably is, is as well with you, Faye, it's like you really want to be a musician at heart and not have to do all this stuff as well, you know, to get in the way of the performance. Or do you sort of see it as a parallel? 
I don't know. I mean, I think it's been, they've always run side by side because I'm really passionate about both of them. So, and it's quite a good balance, actually, to be some points like really deep inside an analytical spreadsheet and then the next thing hanging upside down off a crane being spun around at really high speed. It keeps the balance, you know, so you don't get too much one way or the other in each side of your brain. Um, so, um, no, I'd, I'd say that they're both passions and that's why I end up doing both of them. And, and at some point, maybe my body won't work anymore and then I can at least carry on with my sustainability <laughs> career. Well, is that true with you, Faye? I mean, do you think, oh, if only I could just be a drummer, the world was fine, I could just do me drums? Yeah, to be honest, it's, um, I, it, it makes me really annoyed sometimes that my days and hours and Zoom calls and spreadsheets and just all of this work is to try and make some horrible, overprivileged bloke at the top make a good decision, which quite frankly, why is that my job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you should dedicate your spreadsheets to the dismantling of the patriarchy and then Patriarchy, Dale. Right. <laughs> awesome. And there's the right kind of patriarchy. And, and, and there was me thinking, actually, I'm really happy to be on a gender balanced panel. <laughs> because, because you don't get it. Do you know what I mean? It's normally more blokes than girls. Yeah, but here we are. It's the other way around. And I think we need more of that. So. So, so Dale, it's same kind of background as Claire, but probably a few more years on it as well. We're a similar vintage, so I can say that. But, um, but from that kind of culture, it's very underground culture, we talked to this about quite a lot, you know, the esoteric ideas, the campfire ideas. You know, if only the world could be like this, this, this. You know, people talk about being vegan when there's about 25 vegans in the whole country probably at the time or whatever. Now the mainstream ideas. And what does that make you think to see these, go back in the context of the panel, this kind of maverick approach to things, actually start to become mainstream. You know, what? it makes my life easier because uh, it was difficult 20, 30 years ago to be vegan, to be vegetarian was difficult, to, to be a traveler was difficult, to be alternative, um, you know, uh, it's, it's difficult to, to believe in renewable energy, uh, to care about the climate crisis, all of that stuff 20 years ago was more difficult than it is today, you know? We've got, we've got more company today, more people uh, on the same path, and... Uh, that makes me feel good. I just don't think we're moving fast enough, but it makes me feel good that the way is now moving in the direction that I've always felt that it should. It doesn't really get better than that, does it? It's interesting, you know, this, the maverick nature to what we talk about here, but in a way, you're actually the maverick's maverick, aren't you? Because you managed to do what you've done with no training at all. You've actually just gone ahead and done it. I'm quite interested, and I've always been interested in that as well. You know, you didn't, I mean, you, we both went to the same crap polytechnic, but nobody ever learned anything ever. And, but you somehow managed to build windmills. You just, you just built one, didn't you? And you made diamonds because you felt like making diamonds. And I mean, that's quite maverick, isn't it? That yeah, approach. I guess so. I, I, I guess so. I've been like that all my life since I was a kid, you know, it was a bit, a bit like listening to Chris Packham last night was like, you know, could have been telling my story of, you know, not fitting in, feeling like an alien, that kind of stuff. I've been that like that. And uh, in my early 20s, I just decided to drop out. I, you know, I really didn't like where I was and, and the way the world was and the pressure to get jobs and mortgages and all that kind of stuff. It just wasn't for me. So I, you know, I got an old ambulance and, and just hit the road and spent 10 years living on the road. And I think that was a pretty maverick thing to do. And you know, these days, I think <clears throat> the stuff I do now is probably less so to a degree, you know, because I'm, I'm able to dream up ideas. I've got a team of people to help me chase them down and, and I'm just able to do the things I believe in. I'm more able now to do those things than I was back then. I mean, it wasn't doing the stuff just for the sake of being maverick. It's just doing the stuff because it felt like it had to be done. It was right. But similar 
it's like Faye and Claire, really. Yeah. It? You know, it's like, there's no choice in this. It had to be yeah. done. Yeah. No one else is doing it, so you have to do it. Is that kind of the motivation? Yeah, and there's also no choice but to do the things that I, uh, I believe in and not to do the things that I don't believe in. There's just no choice, no way to be pushed into stuff I didn't want to do. You know, a bit like Chris was saying last night. Again, that's a, uh, that's a neurological thing, for sure. So, uh, you know, I'm not a maverick for the sake of it. I'm just who I am, and I'm just going to do what I think should be done and what I want to do, and I don't really care what anybody else thinks or says or does about it. I mean, did you have those ideas all the time, you know, from when... Like, you know, like, like Faye was like 11 or whatever. When I mean, you were really young, you were, you were a vegetarian, weren't you? Like what, 10 or 11 as well? Nah, as soon as I left home. Yeah. Uh, so like uh, 17, 18. But my first thought was about 11 or 12, probably my first environment concern. Uh, and I was uh, like cycling home from school or something. And, and I had this thought about the number of cars I could see on the road. And I knew they all had about 10 gallons of petrol in them. And I thought to myself, I don't know how many cars there are in the country, but there must be an awful lot. And you multiply that by 10 gallons, that's an unimaginable amount of petrol. Where does it all come from? When is it all going to run out? Because I knew it had to run out because everything's finite, but nobody talked about it. We didn't learn about it at school or anything. That bothered me as a kid. As from that, and how did that get to the point where you actually find solutions for it? Because also you're very solutions-based, aren't you? I mean, a lot of people go... The world is fucked, this is not going to work, everything's going to break, da, da, da. but you actually just go and make stuff to plug the gaps on. I mean, sometimes I talk to you, you know, we say, oh, I've got air travel. You say, oh, no, there'll be electric planes in 10 years and everyone, the people are working on it. So it's solutions-based, isn't it, what you're working on? Yeah, I think solutions are important. I also think that just getting on and doing things is important, you know, stuff you believe in. There's nothing better than making it happen yourself and that proves that it works and then you've got a great platform to talk about stuff, you know, so we pioneered green electricity 25 years ago and now have a great platform to talk about how it can work and you know why it's right for Britain to get to 100% green energy, how we can do it, why the government's plan is wrong. You know, I've got the platform for that because I've been there, done that, nearly, nearly wearing a t-shirt. You know. and, and it's been the same in transport. We built uh, Britain's first electric car and then the National Charging Network Electric Highway. Uh, you know, been arguing for plant-based diets for a long time. And then all of that has come together in football, which has been really amazing because it was unexpected. It was just a rescue mission of my local football club. But within it, we uh, were able to focus on everything that we do, energy, transport, and food in a football club, a new platform, a new audience. And it's just gone ballistic, really, gone around the world. And, and actually, it's been really helpful in uh, you know, talking to a different audience about this really important message, an audience of people that would stereotypically not be expected to take it on board, but they have, which has proven something, I think, really important, that we just have to get information to people of all political colours and, and they will start to change how they live. And, uh, you know, more recently we've been working with the Daily Express, as you know, another alien bubble, really, you would think, but actually I haven't found it that way, you know? It's been, been really good. Yeah, because I think it's interesting when we talk about the maverick nature of these ideas, but to get them into the mainstream, you have to deal with the mainstream, don't you? Mm -hmm. And when you start to do stuff for the Daily Express and the, you're, you're the eco-editor or something, what's the, what's the job title? I, I haven't got a job title. Oh, yeah, just, just, just a bloke because <laughs> you write a two-page press. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and there's a lot of people from the from that world, from the greener world, and probably your earlier world, saying, well, what are you doing? Why are you yeah. going to the enemy? But it makes sense because you have to convert those people, don't you? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I don't have a job title with the Express, but they did try to get me into the Tory conference as a journalist. And, <laughs> and, and the Tories accepted my application online and then saw my name and, and sent an email and said, oh, no, that's that Dale Vince. He's, he's, he's not coming in, so, which is quite amusing. And the editor of the Express wrote to the, to the Conservatives and said, you know, let this bloke in. He writes for us. He's part of our team. It's a very funny thing. But, yeah, I mean, you, I found the, 
the editorial team on the Express to be really engaged. The more we've done on this, we've been working on it since February. Uh, the more we've done, the more they've uh, really just grabbed hold of this agenda and made it their own, you know. And when we did a, um, a quick survey in, I think it was August, the number of articles in the Express on the climate and that kind of stuff was within a hair's breadth of the number you would find in the Guardian in the same month. And I thought that was exceptional. And, and at the beginning, the, the editor told me that the, the Tories he knows, because he, he knows the Prime Minister and stuff like that, they were saying to him, what are you doing working with that bloke? And over on my corner, the people I know are going, what are you doing working with that newspaper? You know? <laughs> and I think that was really important that we came together and we did that. Yeah, because in, in the end, it's not a left-right issue, is it? I mean, obviously the right make all the mistakes and they have wrecked the planet and everything. <laughs> we have to put that in, in brackets. Um, but you went to the Tory party conference and you were 100% not a Tory at all, but you, you, you have to deal with the devil to make the, the changes. That's what you firmly believe in, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, almost it was... I don't, I'm not really sure why I went. I think I went because the Express said, why don't you? And I thought, yeah, why don't I, you know? And, and I didn't expect anything from it. Uh, I thought I might do a bit of fact-finding, you know, just understand them a little bit. It, I felt like an alien uh, on an alien planet. It was incredible. You know, it didn't help that uh, I had a bit of a clothes fuck-up uh, on the way, and I only had a camouflage one-piece tracksuit. So, <laughs> so everybody stared at me everywhere I went. And, and, and the Tory Commons is, is full of guys in blue suits, honestly, seriously. It's not a stereotype, it's a fact. So I just felt like an alien. And I was, you know, but I spoke to some people. I met, I met some people in probably that I knew. And uh, it, was, it was an experience. So Faye, you, from the music world, I mean, what's your reaction in the music world to the campaign you're doing? It seems pretty good so far. Yeah, it's been brilliant. I mean, the, the industry is really on board. Artists are really on board. It's, it's just about coming together and creating, like sharing knowledge in a lot of ways. You, you don't have to have every record label doing the same research about how to go green. It's about, you know, just sharing that information and doing, moving together as a, a group, really. But um, I was also really noticed what, when, what Dale was saying about the, um, it's about reaching people you wouldn't usually have that conversation with and we've just done a really amazing project called sing the change we're really from the indie world so it's very out of our sort of networks and it was involving choirs up and down the uk which is completely but you tell them about this it is completely brilliant this is yeah, great. It's, yeah it's great we it was just exactly what i don't know it's kind of weirdly perfect just everyone's in choir. people from all walks of life join choirs and it's this amazing way that people can come together and you can reach through music we did a version of What a Wonderful World and the, the, the project was called Sing the Change and yeah we just I went up to the Liverpool event we have one in Glasgow one in London and smaller events all around the country we had this Dropbox on Google and all these people we'd never ever have contact with who would never follow us on social media were getting involved and sending their videos it was like it was so touching people from the little village thing and old Grant, it was like really judgy saying that, but just people you'd never get to meet. And I went to Liverpool one and talked to people who were part of the choir event. And everyone really cares and really wants change, but don't necessarily identify with being able to go to a protest or, or that kind of shouty world. So it's, um, it was more everyone said it's very peaceful. This is how I want to get involved. I love singing. And there's an amazing quote, which I'm going to say, that not everyone can talk at the same time, but everyone can sing at the same time. Oh, it's another great T-shirt. It's another great T-shirt. 
This is interesting because it sort of parallels with, with Dale doing the Dale Express stuff. Yeah, yeah it's about it's getting outside of that echo chamber. Yeah. We all had a shock in 2016 when we realised echo chambers really existed. <laughs> so since then, it's been working out how do you step around those algorithms, and it's about face-to-face -face things, I think. So with the choirs, you're getting to what we would call in England, you know, that place down there, Middle England. Does Scotland have a Middle Scotland? Uh, don't you call it? Oh, they probably just middle call Scotland it Middle Scotland sounds great. <laughs> but that kind of slightly conservative, not pretty nice people, but, you know, Middle England, whatever, but they're not politically the same place everywhere else, but they still have the same concerns and issues. And that was your way. Like Dale was going for the, through the Express to get mm. to those people. You're going with the choirs and that's how that's kind of worked yeah absolutely and when we we saw the stuff you're doing with the express we're like yes this is the stuff <laughs> just communicating building those bridges that are outside of this sort of really embarrassing political system we have yeah so in the end you realize that the people actually running the system that they're, they're the wrong the people under, underneath all want the same thing really in the context of this con conversation isn't yeah it? completely yeah. And that approach is interesting because it's like a Mavericks Maverick approach, you know, because obviously it'd be easy for you to go and get lots of quite left field musicians and put them into this great t-shirt campaign, a great campaign and brilliant websites like the quietest writing about it and celebrating, which is great as well. But ultimately it's the same 800 people already agree with each other. It's just getting beyond that. And it's so, is there any more inroads and any more ideas to take that more ma Maverick approach in a sense to the mainstream? Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things we had to do was really sort of say, okay, this is music declares emergency. This isn't indie music declares emergency, which maybe we should have done thinking about it. So we, uh, we have a turn up the volume week, which is bringing the music industry on board. It's around Earth Day. So last year we asked lots of different artists to create t-shirt designs that would connect with different audiences. So we did this one that I'm modelling today yeah. uh, with Luke Priest um, and they put that on the front cover of Kerrang! magazine. We had a classical Declares t-shirt with like a picture of a violin fading into black, which is really nice. Um, the Joy Division t-shirt that people in Manchester love, we've got a big mural of that. And yeah, a, a reggae dancehall designer created one, Afro Deco, it's like a, uh, what's the word, Afrofuturist design. So it's using art to kind of say okay this is welcome everyone come let's join together and this is just started isn't it i mean this so i mean what what's the plans for the future do you have a plan this or is it just like just that's a cool idea let's try that is it, is it that hot you know it's a lot more strategic than that actually. yeah 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 we've we've it's we get funding so we have to fulfill certain goals but um our own goals are they're quite strategic as well of like it's all about getting outside that bubble and really spreading spreading the message far and wide. So Claire, you work at lots of different festivals. Again, this sort of on, on the context is getting out of the bubble. You do, don't you? This is not just lots of um, sort of small kind of wild festivals. Everyone's tripping on asses, swinging around <laughs> trapezes, is it? It's no, like uh, some quite big, big places you go to as well. I mean, you work with yeah. Glastonbury. And yeah, so we work with like Glastonbury and Roskilde, which are the two biggest ones in Europe. But then also like um, multi-venue city events, tiny little like history festivals or food festivals and all around the world. But also what's been interesting recently is also working with arenas, venues, um, you know, places that would never, you'd never normally associate with kind of an alternative green lifestyle in any way. Um, and what I feel like needs to, or the, the place we're nearly at now is getting the house in order of the entertainment industry, so to speak, so all those networks, all the different arteries that join together. Um, the connections between production, management, agent, venue, promoter, 
Um, and then once that house is in order, which makes a difference, but it's a fraction of difference in the global issues that we've got, but then there's millions, if not billions of people whose hearts are reached through that mechanism. So once that mechanism is able to actually stand firmly on its two feet and speak without being just smashed back down for being hypocritical, which is what often happens, then we'll be able to start working on actually reaching people to make real change where it's needed because no one is really listening to the Tories or any of the other governments <laughs> if they want to speak to them about behaviour change, for example. So I feel yeah. like... It's like all these things, you have to do it yourself, don't you, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or in, in community, because yeah. like, like the, yeah. as you get more and more little nodes start to switch, then that affects the nodes around them and you start to find that the thing you're pushing is getting to the top of the hill and then it starts to go. Uh, the 27% that Chris yeah. talk about, yeah. Uh, hopefully it's not yeah. just the climate that's doing that, but actually the effort to, <laughs> to avoid the catastrophe. So, so I mean, what, what are the common issues? I mean, what that you have to change to make the festivals greener? Is it a commonality or is it very different case by case basis? I think it's different case by case because um, like for instance, if you've got a greenfield site, obviously there's the audience transport and it's the same with um, like arena tours as well. The audience transport is going to be a big element. Um, I think that a good thing to do for that is have more gigs in more places and more festivals in more places so that you don't have to travel so far and then the industry benefits as well. Or do it more slowly for the artist transport and the production transport. So um, a, a good way to look at it is if you take, you could do this with anything, if you take a budget and then translate the budget and go, what are we spending here on fossil fuels or environmental degradation in some way? Uh, so for example, if you've got 10 trucks, then you're spending a lot of that budget on fossil fuels and how much we spend on creativity or people or well-being. Um, and if you take, take the same budget and go, okay, we're going to sack off three trucks, how are we going to do that? Spend more time on the design and the creative um, or take more time and give more people the money rather than you know, the trucks, you know, have a slower loading or whatever it may be. Um, or investing into the venue for more of a long term, uh, like, you know, you have the rig that's already there so everyone doesn't need to take it into a truck. Um, so there's, there's different elements in different places, essentially. And this, I mean, we only got a few minutes ago, but the, the tie-in here, actually, Dale, is um, when I first met you, it was about talking about the Massive Attack tour, which you were working on to try and get that down to zero carbon. This is back in the uh, pre-pandemic, -pre pre-war days. This is like 100 years ago. And that was interesting as well, and that the idea of trying to make a musical tour work on zero carbon. And, of course, it creates its own complex problems. But it's interesting. So can you sort of talk a little bit about that tour? Yeah, I mean, it's not my idea. That, that came from Massive Attack and they teamed up with Tyndall and then they came and spoke to us about that. And, you know, our big themes are energy, transport and food. So we shared what we know about that and uh, worked with them to make sure that food was in there. Because in the first cut of that uh, Tyndall report, actually, food was one of those things that was uh, said to be a little bit difficult and left out, which kind of shocked me. Um, but we got it back in. It's a bit like our government's net zero plan two weeks ago, and it food was in for three hours, and then it was taken out. <laughs> or a bit like COP, like you're saying, like yeah, you know, you watch all the headlines, and no one talks about the vegan yeah. thing, do they? No, I stood, I stood in the queue to get some chips this week at COP, and I was kind of struck by this surreal thought because I, I asked for chips, and the guy said, "Do you want fish?" And I was like, "No, I don't want fish." And <laughs> and, and I looked at the people around me, and they're all queuing up to buy. Uh, fish and chips, and they're at a climate crisis conference, and they're queuing up to eat an endangered species. And I thought, this is so disconnected. The people yeah. here are so disconnected. You know, they can't even make that little change themselves. Mm. What was the question? Where were we? <laughs> 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 massive attack. Massive attack. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm a vegan. I'm also yeah. massive attack. 
became vegan for the tour, didn't they? So you talked them into it, I think. I yeah, I mean, it didn't happen in the end, did it? They cancelled because there was an arms fair going on, and uh, which the council wouldn't cancel, and so massive tech Liverpool, that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kudos to them for that. Maybe it'll be on next year. I think it will. The Tyndall report is really interesting, and it is a roadmap, like a blueprint, you know, and they're, they're sharing it with the whole industry to try and encourage everybody to take these steps. It's energy, transport, and food. It never boils down to anything more complicated than that. 80% of all of the problems we face are in those three things, how we power ourselves, how we travel, and what we eat. And, and what's interesting here in the context of this discussion, and the context of a lot of things, and context of music culture, I think that tour is really fascinating. If you can be made to work, it kind of ties up yeah. your work, your work, your work. Yeah. Uh, 3D massive tax work as well, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, it does. And they've been really bold. Um, you know, for example, there was going to be no car parks, so mm. forcing people to come on public transport, which I think was built into the ticket as well. And uh, the, the entire venue was going to be vegan as well, which I think is fantastic. Run on green energy, you'd expect that because you can do that with grid connected gigs, you know, that will be a given. But yeah, really bold of them. And they were going to travel as well on trains and yeah. everything. Yeah. But of course, it creates its own problem. There's still problems and there's still things you can't fix, of yeah. course. Yeah, always. There's always stuff we can't fix, but, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, well, we can't let, like, uh, perfect be the enemy of good or of doing something, can we? You know, we, we shouldn't sweat the details. You know, people talk about football like that. You know, the media say, oh, how can football ever be green because fans travel to away games, you know? And I said, well, you know, actually, if you look at it, the amount of fan travel compared to work travel in, in our country is tiny. It's not actually the big problem. But meanwhile, to clubs, I say, tackle energy, transport, and food. Don't worry about what you can't do right now. Just worry about what you can do. Ten years from now, there'll be electric planes, electric cars, electric buses will have taken over. And that problem would go away anyway. Mm. So this is just, this is the crunch point in a lot of ways, isn't it? This is a, we just have to get through this next ten years. Yeah. <laughs> and right. then we might be okay. Yeah. Well, are you, do you think we'll be okay? What's... Well, look, uh, you know, within the next ten years, we've got to cut carbon emissions by 50%, or we can't achieve what we need to achieve by 2050, the long grass that politicians like to talk about. The hard work has to be this decade. And we can, we can be 100% green electricity and green gas within that 10 years. We've got the technology, we've got the resource, we've got the finance. You know, what we don't have is the political will. We don't have the policies to do that. If we fail to do that, we'll make the job much harder after the 2030s and climate change will be a much bigger problem for us. We're already feeling 1.2 degrees of climate change this last 12 months. We know what that looks like and we're trying to keep under one and a half or two. At the moment, we're on course for 2.7. So, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's a good point to myself. Well, thanks, Paul. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in partnership with Plate Up for the Planet and the Vegan Society. You can find more information about this podcast series and the Plate Up pledge at discovertheblue.com slash plate up. Subscribe to the Blue Dot Podcast wherever you're listening and drop us a review if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Don't forget, Blue Dot returns in July 2022 for another extraordinary weekend of music, science and cosmic culture with Bjork Orchestral and much, much more. Head to discoverthebluedot.com to find out more.